Hi, it's Sharon Swing. Before we get started on today's podcast, there are two opportunities we would love to invite you to join us in. One is a Listen to My Life, Maps for Recognizing and Responding to God in My Story. It's a life mapping virtual group that will be starting September 10th. I'll be leading that along with Joan Kelly and Sybil Towner. We would love to have you join us. Second thing, a live in-person workshop in the Chicago area for people who want to lead others through the life mapping experience of Listen to My Life. We would love to have you find out more information at onelifemaps.com. That's O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S dot com. You'll see a link to those two opportunities off of the front page. Now for our podcast. Welcome to the One Life Maps podcast. Here's your host and co-author of Listen to My Life, Maps for Recognizing and Responding to God in My Story, Sharon Swing. Greetings, everyone. This is Sharon Swing. So pleased that you joined us today. You're in for a treat. We have Jen Pollock Michelle with us. She is an award-winning author with Teach Us to Want and Keeping Place. Her third book, Surprised by Paradox, released May 2019. Jen writes widely for print and digital publications and travels to speak at churches, conferences, and retreats. And after this, I bet you're going to want to invite her. And she holds a BA in French from Wheaton College and an MA in Literature from Northwestern University. She's married to Ryan, and they have five children. Sounds like you're a busy woman. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Jen. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Sharon. Well, you know, I I invited you um, because I enjoyed your book. And it was meaningful to me because I remember several years back uh, kind of coming to a place where where I thought to myself, when did I get so comfortable with ambiguity? Mm. <laughs> and so some of that was reflected in what you're writing in Surprised by Paradox mm. and the promise of and in an either or world. So I tell you what. I usually start these interviews by asking you, when is a time that you sensed God's presence most profoundly? Hmm. Gosh, I can, you know, think very early in my Christian life. I think in a lot of ways, I'm grateful for the, the, an early, very early experiences of knowing God's presence. I grew up in a church. I grew up in a Christian family. And I had kind of all the right beliefs, um, but it was when I was 16 that I would say I had an encounter with the risen Christ, you know, where I, I heard his voice. I heard him actually speak my name. And that is so um, familiar. It's such a familiar story in scripture where God speaks the names of someone, you know, it's how Mary recognized the risen Christ at the empty tomb, Mary, Mary. And that's how it was for me when I was 16. I heard Jesus say, you know, what do you want? Where are you headed? And will you follow me? And I remember really in those first, like I would probably say six months to a year, I had such a sense of such a strong confidence that I could hear God's voice that he was speaking to me. I think that that hasn't stayed with me, unfortunately. And I, you know, I think it's, it's almost like, you know, we can liken our spiritual formation because this is how it's taught in the scriptures too. It's like a child developing, you know, and, and children have to learn to, um, as they mature, it's not as if their parents are holding their hands every time they cross the street. Right. And so that's, I would, it's kind of funny because when I say in early in my life, I had such strong confidence that God was speaking to me. I feel like later in my life, I've, I've had to, learn. I feel like I've almost had to relearn, you know, what does it mean that God's speaking to me and how do I know that for sure? And I think there have been, I think probably in my more recent years of walking with Jesus, I've had to confront ways that I've believed God has been speaking to me and voices that I've interpreted as God's voice. And I, now I realize, oh, that's actually not God. 
<laughs> um, but I've baptized that voice as God's voice um, for many, many years. And so I feel like I'm a bit in a process of unlearning, but um, it certainly ebbs and flows, I think, as it does for, for me, as it does for everyone, that there are seasons where God feels so near, um, you know, where I feel like I could just crawl inside his ear. You know, I kind of use that image and surprised by paradox. And there are other seasons that he feels far more distant. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that very much. And so when, when you sense a prompting these days, what, where do you, how do you notice that? Or how do you feel that? Hmm. I had a prompting just, I think it was just yesterday, you know, I had, there was something that I had seen at church on Sunday and it was just that inner urging, you know, reach out to them, make sure you invite them for lunch. Like you said you were going to do two weeks ago when you had a conversation with them. And I thought, oh yes, yes, yes. I want to do that. And, um, I'll do that later. And because it's like in the middle of church, you know, what am I going to do at that point? So I thought, well, I'll think about that later. And then yesterday the thought came to me again, invite this couple for church. And I thought, right, right. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that later. And the Holy Spirit, I really felt the Holy Spirit say, no, you absolutely do it now. Pick up your phone and send that text right now. Um, so sometimes the urgings are, are so striking and unshakable. Like you cannot shake it. You have to obey it at that point, that prompting or that urging. But sometimes there's, I feel like God does often speak in a whisper and that's the harder part. That's the harder part of knowing like, is that an, is that a prompting from the Holy spirit? Is that just me talking? Um, one thing I've taken a lot of courage from, or I guess confidence in is just, I read Dallas Willard's hearing God many years ago. And he said, God's voice is pretty persistent. So pay attention to those urgings, those promptings that just, you can't shake. They stick with you. And even the urge to write was sort of like that for me. I remember when I told my husband that I thought God was calling me to start a blog. This was back in 2011. We had just moved to Toronto from Chicago, and it was just one of those seasons where I felt I really need to practice paying attention, paying attention to my life and to what God's doing in it. And so I felt like, you know, maybe I should start a blog, and that would be a way of kind of just staying accountable to that. Because, I mean, it's easy to say, well, I'll write, you know, I'll write in my journal, and then you get three days, and then you forget. So I, I was trying to think of a structure where there would be a little bit more accountability, and the blog is kind of what had come to me. And I was um, sharing that with my husband, and then we both sort of looked at each other and said, nah, that's so, that's so silly. Of course, God wouldn't call you to start a blog, but it, I couldn't shake it. I think it was months in the making where I just thought, no, this is it. And even though it seems silly, I mean, it seems silly to me because I thought, oh, there's so many bloggers, you know, who really wants to hear my thoughts? Um, what do I really have to say? You know, and maybe this is really just my own ego at work. Um, you know, maybe I just want people, maybe I think I don't have anything to say and maybe I think I do, you know, and maybe I'd revel in that and my own pride and, um, eventually I just, yeah. yeah, I couldn't shake it. So you did. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, just, just like the prompting to in, invite those people. Yes. Over. It, it's, it's like, okay, is this prompting toward good? Right. Yes. And, uh, and all the ways we can, we can talk ourselves out of a prompting, even though we kind of know it is, but we're, but we'll, we'll kind of replay it in a way that, that makes it about our own insecurities or mm -hmm. whatever else. Right. I mean, it's yes. the same thing when I, when, when I sense that I'm supposed to start a podcast, <laughs> no. same conversation with myself. Exactly. <laughs> Backed off from it quite a few times. That was kind of like, mm -hmm. okay, get over it and get, get with it. Well, I'm sure glad you got over it and started writing and contributed to this, um, uh, contributed this piece of work, um, mm -hmm. for a lot of people to enjoy and all. But, you know, I think one of the chapters that, that deals most specifically with the, um, the things we do with Listen to My Life in terms of helping people to visually map their life stories for the purpose of recognizing and responding to God in their stories. Um, 
you know, this, this chapter on one wild and precious life Mm. um, really struck me. And I appreciated the piece that you wrote about Israel Mm. and um, the Israel's sin was bound up in fear that resulted from spiritual forgetfulness. Mm. Can you say a little bit about that and how it applies to our lives? Yes, that Psalm, Psalm 78, which I talk about in that chapter was actually very critical in the time that I was describing, um, in 2011, when I was sort of trying to discern, is God calling me to start a blog? And I was actually working on a project, um, a writing project for another organization. And, um, I was studying Psalm 78 for that. And I just couldn't help but see that, you know, what happened to Israel is that they just constantly forgot, you know, and actually the, the Psalm starts out, Hey guys, let, let's actually record some things and let's tell the future generations so that they don't forget how God, good God is and they don't fail to worship him as he is. And so, and then, so that's how this, the Psalm opens. And then it, it then it catalogs, all that God did, you know, he parted the Red Sea and the bodies of the Egyptian soldiers who had chased after them, you know, were washed up on shore. And you would have thought, right, that Israel, that would have been the kind of incontrovertible evidence that they, that God was real and that he was for them. But of course they always forgot, right? And we know that in scripture, it's just, uh, I think it's literally days later that they can't find water and they're accusing Moses of, trying to kill them, you know, and where's God. And, Mm -hmm. and that's the whole story of the golden calf, right? Moses disappears into the cloud at the top of Mount Sinai. And, um, they're like, well, we don't know where he went and we don't know where the God is, you know, who let's make, make us a God who brought us out of Egypt. Let's worship, you know, this golden calf. And, I think we're so like that, aren't we? I mean, God could have done something, you know, this morning and we could get to the afternoon and face a new trial, a new challenge, a new invitation to trust. And it's like, we're cast all, like we're all up in arms and in worry and in fear when really, if we could have just practiced recording what God has done and then rehearsing it to ourselves. I mean, I think both are really important. You can't rehearse something that you've forgotten. And one way not to forget something is just to write it down or to find some way, like you said, maybe it's visually, maybe it's, you know, the Israelites, they piled rocks on top of each other, you know, in the middle of the Jordan river to remember that, you know, God has given us this land. Um, And the, you know, Moses was given the tablets, like there were actually tangible things where those served as the reminders of what God had done, but they always had to kind of keep going back to those. That's what the feast were about is, you know, let's, we've got, we're going to reenact almost every Passover. We're going to reenact the story of how God took us out of Egypt and brought us um, into the promised land. And we're going to remember that he is good and that he's powerful because, I I don't know about you, Sharon, but I feel like a spiritual sieve. I feel like there are things that I know, you know, I could wake up knowing them in the morning, especially after I've just had my coffee and I've had my, you know, my time with Jesus and reading my Bible. And then it's not, it's like 10 AM and I get a call that of, for something that, you know, causes worry or anxiety. And it's like, it's all kind of, um, sifted out all of my confidence that God's good and God's powerful. And so I need, a practice in my life, practices in my life that help me record what God's done and then rehearse, constantly retell. And I think that rehearsal part is one thing that's so hard because we are in a society where, I mean, every day we're going at light speed. You know, you can barely think about yesterday because today is just the tsunami, the tsunami of today's to-dos are kind of carrying you away. And so building some points in our day where we look back, you know, maybe that's the spiritual practice of examine where we say, you know, what happened yesterday? What did God do? Where did he show up? Mm -hmm. How did I know his presence? Um, and then that rehearsal recording and rehearsal, I think really takes us into, um, the new territories where, you know, there are new anxieties and worries and fears because there there's, there's just new territory ahead. 
Yeah, you know, I, I appreciated that uh, you used the, this phrase, chronic forgetting, mm. um, <laughs> in the midst of that chapter. And then, um, you know, they doubted the provision of God, and that's, mm-hmm. they, for, they forgot the provision of God, uh, and that was what led them into some not good places. Mm-hmm. And looking back might have made all the difference for moving ahead, you say. And then you you move into a story here about... Um, a Christian writers conference. Mm. And the question that someone asked was, how do you keep God's story prominent in your writing rather than your own? Mm-hmm. So there was an interesting musing about that. Can you say a little bit about that? That question has itched under my skin for years now. And it's so crazy because I actually am very forgetful. So it's funny that I even remember it, but I remember thinking, Hmm. Okay. Um, how do I keep God's story prominent rather than my own? Like it was an either or an or. And I just thought, well, gosh, how would Israel, you know, when I reflect in that chapter and think about Psalm 78, you know, and Israel, their forgetfulness and how they could have, if they just kept their story, well, if they'd kept their story, it would have been God's story, but it would have been their story too, right? Because it was all those things were happening to them. And I think that sometimes there's just this unfortunate divide that we kind of make. I think sometimes we think God's story is sort of happening in the invisible, ethereal realm, like up there in heaven somewhere. And and actually it is. I mean, because God is in heaven and he's ruling the world and Jesus is at his right hand and he will come back. And and someday the rule of God will be established on earth as it is in heaven. But that isn't to say that God's story isn't happening here on earth. And the incarnation tells us that God, you know, highly values earth and bodies and matter and material things. And so I found it to be kind of unhelpful to make this artificial divide between God's story and my story, because it makes me devalue and diminish my story. And you know what? Every day that I wake up, I think my invitation is to see God at work in the everyday kind of ordinary events of my life. And sometimes it's like, far more ordinary than, than, than we give it credit for a lot of times. Isn't it? And, Today I went out and we, we recently planted some annuals in the garden and I went out to water, um, to water them this morning while it was still cool out. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, this hummingbird comes Mm in and hangs out by my water stream for a little bit. And it was one of those moments where you just think to yourself, Oh God, you are so good. Thank you for, you know, thank you for such a beautiful day in the fall. The the hummingbird prompted me toward gratitude in a conversation Mm -hmm. with God to remember Mm -hmm. to be grateful and, and to see his handiwork and this bug landed on my, landed on my hand. And instead of like brushing it off instinctively, I looked at it, it was iridescent. It was iridescent Mm -hmm. golds and yellows. I'd never seen a bug like that before. And I was just prompted toward wonder. Yes. And I know that that's part of part of what you get at in the midst of this book. And I was uh, um, I was doing that. Uh, I was watering the the gardens a little bit uh, after I was perusing your book again in preparation for this interview. And then I, I returned to it, and I just just um, grateful that I was watering the gardens. Kind of bookended by your content here mm-hmm. on Paradox. Mm. And this this blurring of the lines, mm-hmm. and I, I I love um, a piece that you say here that says, um, let's see. It says people who do not know the truth beyond their personal experience, who do not understand their stories as windows into the bigger, grander story of God. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a of a piece we have uh, written in Listen to My Life, quoting another author that says, "God intends to live through us as us." Yes. <laughs> That's really beautiful, isn't it? I think it is, you know, to that picture of the window, you know, that 
um, sometimes, you know, we really feel like our stories are just so disconnected from the kingdom of God. And, um, I think Satan would love for us to think that, you know, would love for us to look for God, um, in, in further away places than the ground beneath our feet, you know, in our, in our garden and, um, around our dinner tables and in our neighborhood. I mean, I had a conversation with a neighborhood, a neighbor just today, difficult conversation. There's a hard relationship, um, with a neighbor and you know what, that's, this is part of God's story that I, you know, this relationship uh, with a person that's right next door to me. And this is absolutely part of my calling is to learn to love, um, people who are, are harder to love. And maybe that's part of her story too, is that she has to learn to love me and I'm harder to love. I don't know. Um, but we, we are, I think the language of invitation is exactly right, is that God is inviting us to see him, um, in the fabric of the everyday. And we don't have to wait for Sunday. We don't have to wait for Bible study. We don't have to wait for those emotional top worship experiences where the, you know, the band's playing really loud and oceans is, you know, the chorus to oceans is now on the sixth time around. We don't have to wait for any of that. You know, we can notice the bug in the garden and, the freckles on our kid's nose and, um, the rain, how it feels as it falls into our hair. And, um, we can believe that every good gift comes from our good father in heaven. Mm, so good. You know, and you, you, you say a few things here, um, it says a bodily life, which is to say a spiritual life is scandalously particular life, a special mm. life. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think it's similar in the way that sometimes we look for God in the extraordinary rather than the ordinary. I think sometimes we look for God in the universal rather than in the particular. And the image that I kind of use in the book, which I I really think it kind of captures the way that I've grown up thinking about spiritual formation. It's it's Christians in the shape of gingerbread men (laughs) or gingerbread women. You know, if you can kind of picture like the cookie cutter and you're cutting out dough and they all they all look the same. And I think that I often thought of that, like if we're all going to be conformed to the image of Christ, well, I guess we must look the same, you know? And I never really embraced my particularities. Like what was I particularly passionate about? What was I particularly sad about in the world? You know, what might the particular contours of my story, the fact that, you know, I lost a father when I was a freshman at Wheaton, my brother committed suicide my first year out of Wheaton, like some of these life experiences that, that like mark my life, um, in a, in a very particular way. I didn't pay that any attention for so long. I just thought, well, that, that doesn't, I don't, that doesn't matter. It absolutely matters, you know, because all, we're not being cut out in the shape of gingerbread men and women. Like God's got a cutter that has Sharon's name on it, you know, and a cutter that has Jen's name on it. And the, and the mystery and the paradox is, is that that's, we're being formed into the image of Christ but it's not, it's a particular, you know, way of imaging Christ in the world so that your story is not my story. Your calling is not my calling. I don't have to, I don't have to just try to imitate everything you do, even though it's wonderful. And and I grew right. up so often wanting that, you know, I like what so-and-so is doing. That looks really holy and important. I guess I should just do that. And it was a way that I didn't um, pay any attention to my desire to write. I thought, well, I guess everybody wants to write a book. And once I finally started to say, I don't think everybody wants to write a book. Maybe I should pay attention to that. And maybe not everybody (laughs) wants to start a podcast. Maybe you should pay attention to that, right? Well, I'm not sure I wanted to start a podcast. That was the interesting part of it. But I have been enjoying it quite a lot. but anyway, um, I get to have conversations with like, like this with very interesting people and, mm-hmm. uh, talk about stuff I love to talk about. But, you know, I think that, that part of the paradox that we're, that, that you're getting at here just in this last piece of the conversation is, um, is about the, the unity in diversity, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that where, where diversity is almost required in unity. Mm-hmm. 
um, and vice versa in, in the midst of that and how beautiful that is and just mirrored in an ecosystem, for example, mm-hmm. the interdependency of, of, of different parts and pieces of an ecosystem um, that allow life to the full in the midst of even the, the, the woods that I'm looking out, um, out the window at right now. Mm. And the, um, the paradox that there is this both andness of mm-hmm. my story and God's story, not the mm-hmm. either or piece. But I grew up um, in a particular uh, religious upbringing that maybe that's different than yours from what I understand in the book here. But I, I know that in my background, um, religious certainty was, was highly valued. Mm-hmm being theologically correct was valued um, so highly that many times it was over, you know, that, that was valued more highly than, than love yes, or understanding or whatever else. And, and you pushed people away that didn't believe like you did. Mm. And um, so what, what about you? Was certainty valued? Certainty was very valued. And you, I grew up with the sense that if I just read my Bible well enough, I'd arrive at that certainty, that ironclad certainty about everything, uh, all spiritual matters and political matters and family matters. And, um, and I, I say in the book, and I, I believe this, I'm so grateful for a tradition that taught me to love the scriptures. Um, I think that when I see in the scriptures, though, is that a lot of people didn't have a lot of certainty. <laughs> they sort of failed the standard of certainty that we commend to, that was commended to me growing up. You know, you look at Abraham and he's been given this promise um, that he's going to have a son. And all along the way, he's often talking to God about doubting that promise. You know, what, mm-hmm. you know, what about, what about, what, what are you going to do, God? You know, Eliezer's, he's going to inherit the whole, everything that I have, you know, and no, you're going to have a son. And well, what about Ishmael? No, it's going to, the son is going to be from, from Sarah. And I just, the faith that is commended to us in scripture from the, in a person like Abraham was not the faith that I saw commended to me in some ways growing up because faith was certitude, um, growing up. I mean, that was kind of the equivalence Mm -hmm. is that, you know, if you have faith, you will feel certain you won't doubt God's promises. I, I think that is such a great way to put it that, uh, certitude was faith. I mean, that was, and, and not that there aren't things that we can't be sure about, right? but there is so much to be learned. And I think when people find out as they, as they grow that, um, okay, I got certain somewhere along the way, Mm -hmm. maybe even a little dogmatic. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> then I got some hard <laughs> edges and I was not necessarily maybe too terribly loving to people who thought differently. And then at some point in time, some things happen where the, where the lines get kind of gray, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's no longer black and white. And, 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 and there's a lot of, um, of internal angst when the paradoxes start to rise and, you can no longer be as certain as you were that is so unsettling. But then as I, as, as you talk to people who have kind of hung with that for a while, they start enjoying the uncertainties Mm. and it becomes wonder. Yes. And And I, I I often say that, that I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I often say that uh, I think we're all going to be surprised when we get to heaven. We're all just going to be surprised in different ways. (laughs) true. I think that's true. Oh, that's not how I thought it was going to be. I had it pictured totally differently. Yeah. I think we have to have some room, some room to be able to 
um, acknowledge um, that we know in part, you know, as Paul talks about in First Corinthians thirteen, like there, we we know, but it's just a partial knowledge. It's a partial, you know, there are things that we're certain about, but partially, um, and that used to feel really scary to me. Like, oh my goodness, you know, would everything be up for grabs if I granted that? And I think the paradox is that there are some things that we have absolute certainty about. I'm not, I don't have doubt about whether Jesus was raised from the dead and whether he's returning, you know, um, to rule the world and to remake the world. I don't, I don't doubt that. Um, but I think the everyday experience of faith, and even as I talk about in the book, lament, I mean, as soon as you experience grief and suffering in your life, um, all those kind of certainties, those hard edges, they kind of wear down, you know, because you may, you may on the one hand know for certain that God is good, but your everyday experience is you, you're that, that certainty is embattled because you just feel like life is in pieces and you, you have to, I mean, I think the beautiful invitation of suffering is to experience, um, the kind of certainty of, of hope and grief at the very same time, you know, that it, that neither has to be diminished. And I think that's incredibly hospitable of God to be able to propose that to us, you know, that we don't have to just paste a smile on our face and say, everything's great, you know, um, in, right. it, to, in order to say that God is great and good. Like I can say God is good. And I can also say this really hurts. Yes. And the joy and sorrow can be intermingled mm-hmm. and that faith and, and discontent can also mm-hmm intermingle. Um, because st- people's stories are messy. I mean, we've listened to yes. enough people's stories over the, over the course of doing listen to my life, um, that you listen to someone's story and you, and you start to say, Oh, I understand how you got to where you are. Mm-hmm. I may not, I may not agree with, with, with your conclusion of where you are at this point in time or how your coping mes- mechanisms or <laughs> whatever else is going on, but Oh man, I get, I get how you got here. And there's this empathy and compassion that can be offered. And, and not only that, when we, when we assume people got to wherever they are, honestly, um, then we might turn to wonder and asking more questions mm-hmm. and to think that maybe it isn't all uh, black and white. It isn't all either or, and there is this both and this, and so much, so much of life we are, we are, right in the mess of, in the muck of the in-between. Yes. And isn't it, I, I think of that Psalm that says, you know, how great of compassion God has on us because he knows we're made of dust. And I just treasure, you know, a verse like that. And, and the idea that God, I think, is far more um, compassionate and gracious than I am with myself, you know, that he knows that we're sort of um, co- contradicted and complex and that we don't even, we're strangers to ourselves, um, much less, you know, to other people. And yet he knows that we're dust. And as a father has compassion on his children, he has compassion on us. And I wonder if one of the things that you see in your work, Sharon, is is just inviting people into a greater compassion for themselves as they kind of trace the contours of their story. And, and a lot of times that's that's part of it. And hopefully people are doing it in community where they're listening mm. to the stories of others. Mm-hmm. They, they realize that they're not alone mm. um, in different kinds of pain and suffering, maybe not the particulars of it, but the, the, the general aspects of what, of what pain, suffering, and grief look like, of what confusion looks like, mm-hmm. of what regret looks like. Um, all of those particular things that we're, that we're sharing a human experience here in the midst of it and also helping people retrace the, the storylines and the, in the, um, you know, following the breadcrumbs of, of what gives us joy and what stirs our heart and, and what God might be calling us in our particular body mm-hmm. <laughs> in our particular lifetime to contribute to the good of the world. Mm. And, uh, that, that both 
meets a need and gives us joy. Mm-hmm. And um, those things happen in the midst of hearing ourselves tell our stories, but also in hearing someone else's story. And sometimes even just someone naming, uh, someone hearing someone else's story, for example, commonly, someone will share a story of some kind of, of maybe abuse. Mm. And then the, the listener realizes that, oh my gosh, that's what happened to me. Mm. And I, and I never named it as that. I thought yes. I was the crazy one, mm. you know, and, and there's this, there's this transaction of how people even get paired up that we don't try to control. We just pray. Okay. Holy spirit, you know, who needs to be together, who needs to hear each other's stories. And, um, it's just in the soup of all of that getting mixed up that God somehow shows up where two or more are gathered. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. It's a high level of trust in the Holy Spirit in the midst mm-hmm. of this work. Mm. And and there's a lot of there's a lot of both and and not either or and <laughs> and everything else going on in the midst of everybody's stories. But somehow or another as Christians, it's not in some circles anyway, it's not a common thing to be able to speak out the uncertainties and the doubts and the messiness mm. of it all. Yes. I think we clean up and 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 put on something that looks a little bit different than how we feel inside. Mm. Which really prevents our growth, don't you think? Um, because I think it's... I think it's naming. I think you've, you've said a really important thing that naming is a spiritual practice, you know, naming even where we really are and how we really feel and what we really think about God. Um, I think until we kind of take the courageous step to name that, um, there's, there's just, we're sort of stuck. I think it's a bit of, of, of paralysis. And, you know, I remember one friend telling me, you know, that prayer in the Psalms, um, just search me, Oh God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, um, show me any offensive way and lead me in your truth everlasting. And probably that was a bad paraphrase, but she said, Oh, that prayer really freaks me out. I don't want God to search me, you know? And I think, no, like actually he knows us intimately. He already knows. There are no surprises. You know, we yeah, don't surprise no God. There's no new searching going on. <laughs> there's no <laughs> new searching going on. We may actually, I think maybe, I wonder if the fear really was praying that prayer and being willing to kind of search ourselves, you know, and be searched. Exactly. And, um, but I think we can do that when we know we're in the hands of someone who can be trusted to do that work well. well and that searching is... God's got a purpose toward freedom. Yes. That's the only reason he's going to do that. Yes. Right. It's not just Uh, to kind of slap our wrist and, oh, look what I found in the drawer. uh, (laughs) Right. No. no. And so, I mean, in there lies another paradox of, you know, what what is scary to us is what actually frees us so many Mm. times. Yes. It's it's the, the... living in the midst of, of, of an awareness of God and, and, and trying to re- to receive his love and give it is all full of paradox. Mm-hmm. It's all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, okay. So, I mean, our, t- our time is about God, but, but I tell you this, this particular book opens up some interesting, uh, cans of worms, I suppose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> multiple cans. In the midst, multiple cans of, of worms when, when, and, and I love how you write it in, in just this gentle way of being able to explore these, um, these both and this, by the way, I never asked you, how do you define paradox? Uh, well, you know, I kind of think about it as truth that we have to hold in tension with each other. It's usually two truths that don't, that seem contradictory, um, but they're both equally true. So, you know, thinking about the incarnation is one of the easiest ways to sort of think about paradox theologically. God, that Jesus is both God and man, 100% God, 100% human, and that doesn't equal 200%. <laughs> right. 
and and all of that gets us into the thick of the mystery of our faith. Yes, it's and you know it's only by the spirit of God and the power of God that we even um, start to learn about those particular things. And because at first, at first, at first hearing, people must think we are crazy. Oh, I think so. <laughs> You know, when you think, when just with that paradox right there. Right. right. Like that doesn't and, make and sense. <laughs> we, we already adhere to a faith that is full of paradox and yes. full of mystery and things that do not make terrible logical sense. Mm-hmm. But yet they do. <laughs> and God seems does. to be completely comfortable with it. You know, it actually seems to be almost his way in the world is embracing the both and and putting us into these places where we have to abide the tension. And that's one, you know, I guess when to even think about the beginning of our conversation, when we think about urgings and promptings, I think that's one way I'm noticing his work now. Um, Like it, it usually is requiring me to be in a place of a both and an and. Um, where I have to wait, where I have to be dependent on understanding beyond my own and where I have to exercise humility and um, remember that uh, he is God and I am not. (laughs) Right. And, you know, I think about the issue of discernment Mm. Um, and, you know, when when we hear something new and we're trying to discern whether or not this is theologically within bounds, right? Mm. Um, so many times I hear people, as opposed to wrestling with that and wondering about it, um, taking a taking a very quick response to it, and and without necessarily understanding the fullness of what even a particular word or a phrase means to someone else that wrote it. Mm. Uh, you know, at all, and and just giving ourselves some elbow room to just suspend judgment, being and, such mm. an important part of this process. I I love you know I've used Moses in the book to talk about the virtues of curiosity. That when we don't understand something, a lot of times we just want to run away. And Moses, when he's confronted with the bush that burns but is not consumed, this paradox. He says, I think I'll take a closer look and imagine if we kind of were those people formed by the virtue of curiosity in that way, you know, that if I don't understand something, I'm not going to run away from it, you know, but as you say, suspend, communicate it, (laughs) (laughs) move closer, you know, and, and pause and take some time. And those are (laughs) spiritual disciplines that are really hard in our you know, 24 seven light speed world. Right. To enter into conversations um, Mm. with a heavy dose of grace Mm. and to realize at the end of the day, you don't have to agree. Yes. Yes. I I hope I am growing in all of those edges Mm. significantly these days. And, uh, I love how you kind of bring it the, for some reason, your book in my story kind of brings those concepts full circle mm-hmm. back to some of the core issues of, of, of the things of certainty that I was taught that really you have to question them in order to be able to dive into the min- the menis- the mystery of them, like yes. the incarnation. Like if you just take it as, okay, well, that's what I was told and that's how it is. And you don't sit and ponder it and wonder about it and, and, and appreciate the mystery of it. Mm. Um, It's in the pondering of it, of the mystery that it somehow becomes more rich and more full. It's almost like, you know, the journey versus the destination, you know, or the process versus the product, right? I think so often we just think about kind of end results, like belief, for example. But what about the process of, as you say, wondering and pondering and and wrestling and interrogating and questioning? And um, I mean, so many things are formed in that process. So much character is formed in us. Um, 
And really an encounter with God, I think, is right there. That's the invitation. Um, it's not just arriving somewhere, but um, mm-hmm. taking the journey and believing that um, there's an invitation for us in that. Right. And keep asking. I love the word invitation and I yes. use it and I use it so often. Mm. In fact, I have, you know, we did an art journaling uh, evening one time and I was actually looking at this painting I did quite a few years, uh, years back. And it was an invitation to trust is what mm. it says. And um, I took a look at that kind of closely just this morning mm. and that word invitation across this particular piece is just all of these things are an invitation to a conversation with God. Yes. And a God that doesn't need to be defended. He can speak for himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's much more comfortable with mystery and paradox and ambiguity than we are. Yeah. And I'm so sorry for our listeners who, who, really like certainty a whole lot right now. I, I, I'm feeling mm-hmm. your pain. Um, and I know uh, that this might be a real stretch to even be talking about this this kind of thing that in terms of comfort level, um, mm. yeah, this might be really, really uncomfortable for a lot of people. I had that question asked of me, you know, how do you, I think the essence of the question was, how do you like emotionally deal with it? You know, when, when we are so driven, some of us more so according to personality and temperament, more driven to find certainty and to find a lot of comfort in that. But I think, I think it's what you said earlier at some point in the interview, um, is that, in the process, I don't know. I think some, I don't know that we'll always hate it as much as we think we will, because truthfully by temperament and personality, I'm very driven towards certainty. I like my, I like my T's crossed and my eyes dotted. Um, and I'm very driven to the binary, you know, just give me an answer and I'll, and I'll do it, you know, tell me what to do and give me the instructions and I'll follow them. And, um, I can say that I'm finding a lot of beauty in the ambiguity that I didn't, that I don't think by personality and temperament, I normally would. And I think that is, um, probably just evidence that, you know, God invite has, has issued an invitation and I've, um, tried to take him up on it and I'm finding a surprising joy on the other side. Right. And, and I love your, how your book is written and it uses so many biblical stories as examples of the both andness of it all and realizing how much paradox is already just right there in the major tenets of our faith, Mm. um, that, that your book helps to open up the wonder of it and helps remind us that these are stories that we have been handed over time. And somehow we have taken them on as our own without necessarily always entering into the awe and wonder and the questioning of it and opening up that conversation with God, like, okay, how does exactly that work? (laughs) Right. (laughs) What? (laughs) Wait, what? And, uh, (laughs) Because there's a whole lot of those in there, right? And you know, <laughs> a whole we, lot of things in the Bible. <laughs> we've kind of flattened the characters of the Bible, like that, like almost everything's inevitable, you know. And they never yeah. had the wrestlings and the human wrestlings that we did. And I think just to, just to even try to put ourselves in their shoes and to recognize that Abraham and Hannah and Paul, like all these people, are very human. They had all the kind mm-hmm. of human um, things doubts and anxieties and fears and longings that we have. So they're not flat and two dimensional. They're incredibly human and, um, just allowing ourselves to read it a little bit more imaginatively in that way, I think really brings it alive. Oh, very much so. 
Jen, can you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you? Um, definitely come to my website if you want, jenpollockmichelle.com, and you'll be prompted to sign up for a monthly letter that I send to my readers. And I call it a letter because that's really how I think of it. You know, just it's a sharing of what I've been reading and thinking about and praying about and stories of how God's at work in my life. And I've had a lot of encouraging feedback about it, and I've been writing that for several years now. So you can sign up for that. That's the best way, honestly, to stay in touch. I am on Twitter and Facebook, but more irregularly than I probably should be. Um, but you can definitely find me on there too. Well, thanks so much for your time, Jen. Yes. Today we have been speaking with Jen Pollock, Michelle, that's M I C H E L. And she is the author of surprised by paradox, the promise of, and in an either-or world. Her website address is jenpollockmichelle.com. That's J-E-N-P-O-L-L-O-C-K-M-I-C-H-E-L.com. She's available for speaking and retreats and conferences. I'm sure it would be a joy to introduce her to your group. Thanks so much, Jen, for being with us today. And, oh, by the way, don't want to be remiss in saying that there is um, a way for you to support the One Life Maps podcast at patreon.com slash one life maps. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash o-n-e-l-i-f-e-m-a-p-s. And there we offer a thank you gift every week of a new audio devotional, and I hope you will take advantage of that for a donation of about $5 or more a month. And also, we're starting a virtual group September 10th, 2019 for Listen to My Life. If you want to go through that, the eight maps of Listen to My Life to help map your life story so that you won't forget how God has been interacting with you over time. And we're going to be doing a Listen to My Life Facilitator Certification Workshop November 18th. You can always find out more at O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S dot com. Have a great day. Thanks again, Jen. Thank you, Sharon. Thanks so much for having me. Have you thought, I don't know myself anymore? Have you wondered, is there something more? Are you at a crossroads in life and asking, which way will lead me toward expressing more of who I am made to be? Are you looking for a way to understand the restlessness you feel inside? Are you seeking a deeper spiritual life and desire to rediscover who you are through God's eyes? Or you're ready for the life-mapping experience of Listen to My Life? Go to onelifemaps.com to purchase your portfolio of visual life maps. While you're there, check out our upcoming virtual coaching groups, live workshops, and options for you to facilitate the Listen to My Life experience with others. That's onelifemaps.com, O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S.com.